This conference will now be recorded. So a big problem we've had this past year in large areas of the U.S. and even other parts of the world has been extremely wet harvesting conditions. And um, I will I will just say that uh, it's impacted my farm as well. So I know from personal experience uh, this topic that we have today. So we're talking about how to repair the ruts and damaged soils uh, due to harvesting in extreme wet conditions. And uh, before we started here, someone asked uh, if I carefully chose the brands of equipment in this picture. I tried to get a fair representation here. John Deere's stuck. Case IH is stuck. I'm assuming that's another IH tractor back there. Don't read much into this, guys and girls. Uh, but I'm just saying that uh, anything can get stuck. Uh, but uh, for the sake of, of our discussion today, uh, we're, we're just going to say that uh, we need to figure out how to fix the, the problems that may have occurred uh, in, in our fields and try to do them in a, in a, in a good way to, to be able to bring them back. I think it's important to start out here that we uh, kind of set the foundation of perspective. And I wanted to just state right up front that you hear it said that once you get into a cover crop system, a no-till system, how better soil health can help overcome extreme wet conditions, okay? We hear that, and that is an absolutely true statement. I've seen it on my farms. I like, I like to say I've earned the right to be on my ground, sometimes wetter than I used to be. But, but the last part of this sentence says there is a limit. And I think for a lot of us, we did reach that limit this year. And when it's time to harvest and there's no end of rain in sight, you got to go. And I understand that. I'm a farmer. I get that. I understand it. Um, <clears throat> so what do we do with our, our good no-till fields, our good cover crop fields that have been rutted up now with tillage? How do we, how do we proceed? And um, I have a slide here that I titled Rules for Ruts. Um, and I just thought, again, this is kind of perspective here. And the first thing I want to say is we're going to have to be patient because the, the, the ability to be able to repair, to be able to fix, regardless if it's using tillage or cover crops, it's going to have to dry out at some point. And who knows? I mean, I'm speaking from southeastern Pennsylvania where I live. Our 2018 weather has continued into 2019. Now, it's not as, as dramatic here because we're in the wintertime, but we're still in a very wet period uh, in, in our area. And if it doesn't dry out this spring, it's not going to be good. And I'll just, I'm just going to be forthright about that. Uh, so we are going to have to be patient. Uh, that doesn't mean we can't farm, of course. But uh, we're going to have to do what we need to do. But to really repair damage, it does need to be dry. And uh, especially if you're using tillage, which when you have the dramatic uh, problem, like you saw in my opening picture there, when we're stuck up to the axles of our combines or our tractors, you can't just plant a cover crop in there and fix that. 
you're going to even maybe have to get a blade out or a loader or something and close the holes or, or a disc or a chisel or something. Uh, sometimes it's just isolated a very small spot, and it could be as much as the whole field. And that leads me to the next point here. Only repair what needs to be fixed. Only repair what needs to be fixed. And I, I, I put that in there because some of us, you know, you get on the tractor and you really enjoy feeling the power of that tractor working and, you know, you're doing something, you're accomplishing something. I'm going to caution us not to say, well, I'm out here, I got this tool hooked up. I'm going to do the whole field while I'm at it. And I'm telling you, there could be times where that is needed, but probably mostly not in all our fields because you're going to ruin some of the soil structure that you've made. So if you don't need to till it, don't do it. That's what I'm trying to say here. So only repair what needs to be fixed. And then if you have to use tillage, and there will be some places for that, I have probably, on my 300 acres, I'm guessing an acre or two, that's it, because my farm's fairly well drained, that I may have to get the disc out, and I still have a disc. There's sometimes I never use it for years, and sometimes my neighbors need it for something. I'll help them out, whatever. Uh, but I may have to go over just an acre or two and just level a few things out, and I call that cosmetic tillage because it's not like it's rutted deep. Uh, so, you know, what tillage tool do you have? What does your neighbor have that you could use? Only repair what needs to be fixed and use the least disturbance possible. So that's kind of, you know, the rules that I'm putting out here right up front in my approach to this. And then, of course, I have under here, then use cover crops because the use of steel only goes so far. And there's nothing better than good cover crop roots to be able to help to break apart some of that compaction that may have occurred. Uh, so if you have to use tillage, be very discriminatory about it. Only use it where you need it. And then you want to plant some uh, cover crops in there. So the next is, well, how do we strategize doing this? And I put this next here. The next topic kind of is cover crops for repair, repair of the soil, repair of the soil health to to get back what you may have lost because of the damage. Um, so there's a couple different options here. So the first one is if you have wet spots that remain wet during the spring, let's say we just don't dry out, it remains wet. I'm suggesting don't plant a cash crop there if your cash crop window is is getting close to end and instead of dragging a planter through and a tractor hoping not to get stuck again just leave that half acre or one acre or five acres whatever it is don't plant anything there and i'm going to get to the next slide here about how to fix that more with the use of cover crops or wait to till it wait to rip it uh, until it's dry don't even bother planting a cash crop because the chances of that cash crop being productive are pretty nil if it is a wet spot that you can't plant through in the spring. So why don't, my suggestion is why don't you just um, essentially don't even bother planting a cash crop, 
try to fix it up with a good cover crop over the summer because you can really fix a lot of damage quickly. So again, use low disturbance tillage if necessary and then plant a summer cover crop mix once it dries out. So uh, that's pretty much a, a strategy that I would have for areas that you can access. Uh, if it's in the middle of a 100-acre field, you may not want to run down uh, an entryway in and out of that, and, and that's what you'll have to decide there. So I put out some strategies here. Actual, um, if you get into the situation where you're not going to plant a cash crop, it's just too wet, uh, one is, is to kind of approach it with in two stages. And this would be if it would get dry enough by around June the 1st. I'm just putting some dates out there. Uh, you know, let's just say the end of spring, beginning of summer, you can go either way and how things are drying out for you. But as soon as possible, uh, plant a your first round of cover crops. And I have listed here a bushel and a half of oats, 30 pounds of peas, and if you want to be, for good measure, four pounds of Phasalia. Some of you might not know what Phasalia is. It's uh, very popular in Europe. Um, it is very well known, mostly because it can attract beneficial insects. It attracts bees. But that's not the real reason I would put it in here. The reason would be because it is really good at taking... Uh, beat up soil and bringing back some healthy soil aggregation. And that's why I put specifically in there Phasalia. Uh, there could be some other ones out there, but this is, is something that grows good uh, early on. And in this scenario here, then we would do stage two when the oats is heading or coming out in heads uh, past the boot stage. Um, so you would either terminate it at that point with a herbicide or roll it down with a roller uh, or maybe do nothing. Maybe just plant through it. You might have a drill that will knock down the existing oats. Um, the only way you would do nothing is if you don't care that the oats actually produce viable seed. And in one hand, that's okay. Because if it produces viable seed, it will come up later on in a month or two. And uh, if you look down there, we're going to be planting some really fast-growing crops, uh, cover crops here like sorghum sudan and sun hemp or cowpeas and radish. So having the oats there in the background, so to speak, will come in handy when you get into the late fall. It'll grow into October because the... Uh, the uh, sorghum sedan and the sun hemp or cowpeas will be, will be terminated with the first frost. And then we'll have uh, that oats that it's already there be able to grow and we'll be able to, again, do more soil building and so forth. So um, I'm just going to pause now and ask if anybody has any questions regarding this, this tactic because it's, it's somewhat complex. But this is an idea if you're going to abandon cover, abandon cash cropping, and you're going to really hit your wet spot, you know, very intentionally on a two-pass system. So uh, any comments or questions? I see Marty, you're on. What do you have to say, Marty? 
Uh, if I was going to graze that, how would I change oh. that final mix? Oh, that's a good question, Marty. I forgot to put that in. Um, so that's great. How do you change the final mix? Well, looking at it there, that wouldn't be too bad. Sun hemp is not the best grazer unless you turn them out pretty early because it starts getting uh, fibrous, the, the stem does. when, Like I'm going to say bud stage or before bed, bud stage. So if you keep sun hemp in the mix, you'd put your animals out on the early side. And if you're going to manage it right, you can do that. Uh, cowpeas may be a better choice. There's other things like mung beans you could throw in here that would work as well. And um, But your summer annuals is where you want to hit it because they're going to grow the best over the summer. Um, okay. So That's anyone else with any – yeah. It would be after corn harvest, so that would be like a November 1st, late October. Oh, okay. Well, you know, my whole premise here is trying to help the wet spots out. You know, that you have in your farm or, you know, wet areas. So, yeah, it may be conducive to grazing. It may not. But I'm glad you brought it up because I don't have anything in here about grazing. I wasn't really thinking that way, but that certainly could work. So, uh, Lloyd, do you have a comment? Yeah, I was just wondering, uh, is this uh, recipe going to help you reduce the wet spot or just build up the soil because it was wet? Well, I think it can do both. I think you can – this is – I'm, I'm providing – we're assuming here that the soil does dry out, okay? I have heard farmers tell me, and, and granted, I live in an area that's fairly well-drained, so I don't have a lot of personal experience, but I've heard farmers tell me when you can get a really good cover crop uh, kind of gone in a drier year, because that's when the wet spot is actually really viable, and especially with radishes and something like that, a good dry year that they have noticed subsequent years that it drained better, uh, where they were able to get it to a point of better functionality. And that's why I'm pr promoting this here. If you have an area big enough that's worth seeding, that you just don't bother with cash crop. Because the, 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 the rationale behind it is you're probably not going to make any money on that cash crop, the corn, the soybeans, whatever you're going to do it. And if it's worth it, then if it's big enough that you, that you can go in there and do this, you're setting yourself up for better cash crops in subsequent years. Um, is, there a reason, is there a reason why you didn't include rye? Well, because it's early. And I'll, the next slide, I'll talk about that. This, okay. And again, I, I was debating whether to stop here or not. This is for the one-two punch early. Okay, um, and, and, and you could come in here actually and make a third pass. You could and put cereal rye, triticale, hairy vetch, and peas and all that stuff. You could if you really, really want to hit them. Maybe then the rest of your field will be harvested and you just go right through that spot. So great question, but I'm, I'm going to come up with that. I want to say here that uh, Dana, Dana Fletcher from North Dakota said says here in the chat he's going to pull out an old 20-foot John Deere disc from the trees and take out the center sections for my sprayer tracks. Um, anyway, it's just something that uh, I love farmer innovation, and, and, and sometimes uh, I, you know, I sold my moldboard plow in 1995. I have no reason for that, but I still do have a disc, and that's just every couple years you get a few little ruts that I need to level out. Uh, and again, I said earlier on, that's kind of cosmetic tillage is how I look at it, but 
Um, so that's just, again, you know, how we're looking at it. So um, here's maybe going to your question, Lloyd, uh, moving on to the next slide here. This is where it stays wet. Let's just say, and I just put July the 1st in there just to put a date down. It stays wet until the middle of summer. And then uh, you can go with pretty much that same uh, recommendation I had made earlier uh, with sorghum sedan, sun hemp, cowpeas, radishes. And there's, there's 30 other crops you could put in there. Uh, you know, and, and I just didn't bother listing them all because they're kind of where do you stop? You got to know what's available to you. But mix it up as much as you can, 12, 13 species. Go for it. If you get the right uh, mixes and everything or buy it from someone who knows what they're doing, go for it. Uh, that's why I have in there add other species as desired. But these are some of the better ones. Sorghum sedan, I'm going to say, needs to be the anchor of this because uh, it really does good over the summer. And then, as you suggested, Lloyd, you could plant a subsequent fall cover crop in mid-September or mid-October or whenever. And then I listed a bunch of those fall or overwintering cover crops there that you could do. So I'll just pause again. Any uh, any comments now on this scenario? It's a little different than the first one. Uh, and 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 to your point, uh, Marty from Wisconsin, um, this this also could be grazed. Um, I would definitely substitute cowpeas from sunhemp. Uh, although sunhemp has kind of been known to be a like a natural dewormer, like for sheep and goats. And so that's pretty well known, but you got to get the animals out. If you see a bud, if you see one bud, it's like you're probably a couple days late uh, to, because if you're going to be at least, they you were know, doing a mob graze thing or whatever. So questions or comments from anybody on, uh, on where, where, what we got done so far here. I see Jim Johnson's on from Oklahoma. I don't know, Jim. I know you just got on here. Um, you do a lot of grazing and stuff, and I, I know you're kind of from a dry land area, but any comments, Jim, so far? Oh, our environment's just so different than y'all's. Right. Do you ever get too wet? We do at wheat harvest. A lot of times, May, June is when our uh, majority of our precipitation falls. Wow. Those are our wettest months. And so we do get ruts from combines and carts mm -hmm. during wheat harvest. How do you deal with that in a no-till cover crop soil health situation well, in Oklahoma? <clears throat> usually the disc. Yep. And I, and I don't know if you were on at the beginning or not, but I said that you know, our, our practices here of cover crop, no-till, increased soil health, we earn the right to get on our ground a little wetter without as much damage. But sometimes when the wheat's ready to harvest, you got to go. Right. And, and, and there's, there's, a, there's to a degree where it'll only support you so much. And, right. uh, and my whole point is use as least tillage as possible and only do what needs to be repaired with steel. And then everything needs to be very intentionally cover cropped. And that's kind of my, maybe my take-home point here today. So, so Bob, you have your crew there uh, of people that have vineyard farmers. What are you guys thinking? Do you have any questions? You, you guys are in the vineyard. So, again, a really, uh, we'll just say a, a different uh, scenario. But um, do you have any things to add to this from your perspective? Well, it's pretty tough to tear the vineyard out because it was a little bit muddy, but <laughs> my, plan, I hear my plan was to kind of use like an oats and some kind of a legume, 
mm-hmm. you were saying peas. And then our normal, on our farm, our normal fall cover crop goes in late July. Mm-hmm. So just about terminating the oats and the peas and then putting in our uh, rye grass or our, our cereal rye or something like that just to get right. something in the summer for some footing. Right. Uh, somebody else has something to say too, Steve. Go ahead. Hey, Steve, this is Kevin. And Bob and I have been batting this back and forth. So one of my primary concerns is competition for water, which sure. might sound a little weird, but, you know, if weather conditions change, especially with some of our soil types, mm-hmm. we will still have that crop there, and we don't want to do any long-term damage through competition. So Lacey Facilia sounds like a great idea to me because it might mm-hmm. use less water. I don't know mm-hmm. what else I would be comfortable mixing with that with i'd be interested in hearing some ideas yeah that are a little less aggressive on the water uptake well the facilia it it kind of has uh most of its rooting action is nearer the soil surface which to your point might be good but it does seem to have a tap root that goes down and i don't know the degree of water uptake that it really is especially in your situation However, I do know this, that a lot of vineyards are using it uh, around the world, uh, in California and Europe, because of the insect, drawing in the beneficial insects. So I think you really need to play around with the facility a little bit, particularly you guys that have orchards. Um, and, and uh, you know, its claim to fame is, is it can attract beneficial insects and it also can restructure soil or heal soil almost faster than almost any plant, any cover crop that I'm aware of. Um, so that's, that. I think Facilia is definitely one to, uh, one to look into. Yeah, in the past we've used buckwheat kind of okay. in a way before, you know, I had ever heard of Facilia. Yeah. Uh, I guess, the, you know, I, I think the one thing Bob always lets us know is that mm-hmm. a seed mix is really where you try to get to rather than planting yeah. a crop so is there anything yeah. you mix with that facility in a situation like this or would you plant it as a plant it by itself well i always mix something with the facilia because it tends to um be lower germ that's its weak point it's not a good germinator and for reasons that i've still not figured out i when i used to test it and plant it by itself I would see a field and I would see modeled uh, areas where some areas where it would grow and then you would have all the rows, like just for whatever reason, for 25 feet, nothing there. And it made no sense. Um, uh, you know, it wasn't like the soil was a different type or anything. And I always recommend a companion with Facilia. Uh, so I think you were saying that you like to plant this in July, is that correct? Um, well, this first time we're gonna, as soon as it dries up for the okay. ruts, but our fall cover crop we plant in late July. Okay, well I would I would say Phasalia also germinates better in cooler soil than it does in warmer soil. And it's if you dig deep in research, you'll see that, that it doesn't like summertime to, to germinate, it likes cooler weather. So planting it any time now, you can get it in. Uh, and, and the good cover crops for now is the oats and the peas. The reason I'm suggesting peas is to give the oats a little nitrogen. 
that's kind of the main rationale behind that uh, in, in doing that. So it's, if you get in real early, your, your buckwheat's too early because buckwheat will kill, you know, 36 degrees will pretty much take out buckwheat. And I just say that to make a point. You have to wait till June almost or middle of May in most areas to think about planting buckwheat. And I would say that buckwheat does not have great soil building capabilities. Uh, that being said, by putting a pound or two of buckwheat in a mix in the summer is awesome because why not make your little wet spot you're trying to mediate? Why don't you make that a quasi-pollinator crop over the summer? I think there's value to that. I don't know exactly what it is in dollars and cents, but again, I'm, this is why I'm saying my premise here today is for wet areas or larger wet areas, why waste your money growing a cash crop that you're not going to make any money anyway and use that area to try to remediate it so that in the future you'll have better soil, it doubles up as a pollinator uh, plot as well, and that's definitely not going to do anything wrong. So. Anybody have any comment on that, on on anything we just talked about or any help for the guys in the vineyards? Uh, what other species? Anybody else have any ideas or comments? Uh, it's Thomas. I have a question. Yes. Uh, do you have tile drainage there? The uh, Are you asking in the vineyards or, or other folks? Or, or in general, because around here, if you have a wet spot on a field, it's a sign that your tile drainage is messed up somehow. Right. And just for those who came on after we started, um, you'll be interesting to know that Tomas is from Finland. So uh, so just so you, you know that, it's really great to have you on here uh, today. Just join the group. Uh, but to answer your question, uh, yes, there's tile drainage in in quite a few places in, in the U.S. Um, I don't know if there's tile drainage in the vineyards or not. Is there, Bob? Do you have much tile drainage? Yeah, we have tile drainage. I mean, we could always use more, but yeah. we have quite a bit already. So to answer your question, Tomas, this year was so wet that the tile didn't always do its job. It was just too wet. And you are correct that we'll say on a normal year, a wet spot could be a plug tile or a malfunctioning tile. So you're correct. But I will say that this year, even fields that were tile drained, the water level was so high that it wasn't even running out of some of the fields because it, it was the level was so high. So I hope that helps you understand that a little bit. But yes, there is certainly a a a place for for tile drainings. But even this year, it kind of got maxed out in some areas. Is that a fair statement? Uh, those of the rest of you that uh, have tile, was that helpful, Tomas? <laughs> Yeah, it, it was it, that. Yeah, and if you want to uh, kind of fix tiles or yeah. do improvement work, having the soil really dry is right. great. And these cover right. crops, I'll add these to my kind of toolbox. Good, good. Yeah. That's right. Very good. Okay, I'm going to move on and wrap up here, but we'll open it up for more questions again. Um, and uh, some of you have seen these slides before, and you're probably going to see them again. But the question comes up. Can I plant something now, or how soon can I plant? I was not able to get cover crops planted last fall. And um, today, I'm going to direct this conversation to wet spots, wetter spots, simply because that's the topic for today. 
Now, what you see in the picture there is a no-till drill that is seeding into ground that's slightly frozen. You can see there was a little bit of snow. The ground is not frozen enough to keep the displays, the openers, from going in. But we're placing seed in there, and, and you could plant oats now. Maybe peas. It might be a little early, but you can plant oats, and it won't germinate until the temperature gets warm enough, and it's a tough enough seed that throughout the spring it will germinate and get going. So, uh, you know, to do this requires some preparation. Uh, sometimes this will never occur in a spring where you have the scenario that it's just right because sometimes the ground is thoroughly frozen and it's, you know, once it falls out, uh, it may not freeze anymore. So this does not occur every year. You can also do this in the fall for late season planting like cereal rye, but now we're in more in the spring and, uh, and, and also uh, it, it's for areas that would have been too wet last fall and you want to plant something like oats, oats and peas and those their cover crops that I listed before. But, but we do need to be careful. Uh, when I talk about wet spots, I know this is kind of uh, a, uh, a picture just to make a point, but you know your farm and a little frozen ground is not going to hold your tractors up. So just be aware of that if you're doing this tactic. Um, so I just wanted to kind of uh, make, make us all aware of that. <clears throat> so to kind of summarize, um, again, some perspective here. Soil health is a lifelong endeavor, not an overnight fix. And I will add here, sometimes, like this past year in many areas, we are dealt a setback. Sometimes it's too wet, but we have to go to harvest our crops. So how do we react to that? And my, my simple statement here is we try to remediate that as quickly as possible, have some patience, hopefully it'll dry out, and then use cover crops, use tillage very sparingly, um, uh, but you know, try to be, be wise about what we're doing. Um, so I just put up here, next week's webinar is kind of going to be similar, but I wanted to bring it in here because I want to spend some more time on some of the best spring cover crop options. Um, and, 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 and I will tell you there will be some overlap from today, but I'm going to talk more on broad scale, more field scale uh, options. And I might bring in a few other ideas and so forth how to do that. But I, I just felt I needed to do it because time is marching on and we need to be thinking about it. I actually had a, a call today from someone locally here said, what can I plant as soon as I can get in the ground? So um, so having said that, I just want to open it up. Any, any uh, questions do any of you have for how to repair the ruts, repair the damage to soils that have been uh, essentially, hard, you know, our conditions were too wet? or any other cover crop question you have at all. Uh, as long as we have, a, have some questions, we'll be, uh, we'll be talking. So any questions at all? I see, Stephanie, you have your mic on. Do you have a question? I do. Hey, Steve, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. 
Awesome. Um, so I recently had read an article, uh, probably from like the American Agriculturalist or somewhere like that, um, talking about evaluating the, the compaction issue and trying to identify how deep that compaction problem mm-hmm. is. And that if you try to do tillage that's too shallow, you're just brushing mm-hmm. over it and trying to get below that below that compaction area. Um, mm-hmm. What are your thoughts with that? I mean, do you see um, with some of the the compaction issues that that you're dealing with, um, does it go very deep or not because of the structure that you have? And and what are your thoughts about getting something out there to go below that compaction right. point? Well, again, there's no there's no common pattern because there is so many variables. What is your soil structure? You're in you're you're kind of like your, your um, apparent soil structure, what is it like to begin with? Is it more clay? Is it more sand? Is it a mixed silty clay loam? All that enters into your question. Um, what is your field history? How much soil health practices have you been using? And I know you guys all know this stuff, but you know, I kind of have to set us up to help answer the question. The best time, Stephanie, to check for compaction is when the soil falls out in the spring because it's very – Usually it's very uh, mellow, and you can you can really feel on a penetrometer. And you do not have to buy a three hundred and fifty dollar penetrometer to do this. You can just get, uh, you know, as simple as a straight bar, a straight rod. I mean, and then uh, you know, grind a point on the bottom and weld a two inch pipe on the top, and you can really get a handle on what your compaction is. So you're really not going to know unless you go out and and use some sort of a penetrometer. And the best time is any time when the ground falls out. That is by far the best because when the ground is dry, it's difficult uh, to 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 be to really sense the compaction uh, where it might be. So uh, and then so what do you do about it? Let's say you you find some compaction. Let's just say at at, at eight inches, uh, the old plow pan, if you will, maybe for some people. So if, if it's severe and you need some immediate results, then something like a low disturbance subsoiler may be step one in that because you just need to remedy that. But I'm saying you immediately you got to be thinking about a very intentional cover crop program to apply to that. And uh, that could be planting a little shorter season corn or beans so you can get some radishes planted in the fall with annual ryegrass which are two of the best cover crops for alleviating compaction. Um, if your compaction is much shallower, then, again, if you have to, you think you need to use tillage, you know, only go as deep as necessary to, to break that up. But I would kind of say that, you know, I'd be shying away from tillage unless you're kind of like renting a, you know, like renting a new piece of ground and it's just really bad and you need to kind of make a transition so you can use tillage or strip tillage or something there. We have so many options out there nowadays. Uh, that's why I say it all starts with finding out where your compaction is, how widespread is it across the fields, and then making the decision, do I need to use tillage right away? But I'm saying come up with a comprehensive cover crop strategy to be able to address that. So is that helpful, Stephanie? It, it actually really is. Um, 
my team and I up here, we're kind of working on some articles to put out around the state. And we've been talking about how do we address compaction? What are the best things to do once you get, once you know you have it, what are your options to kind of remediate some of these issues? And and there's a, there's a lot of people that um, have compaction issues that will have compaction issues this spring. And I think that one of the things that you said, that's a really true fact is that we, we can't kick the can down the road. We have to try to deal with it immediately. And if a short season yeah. crop is, yeah. that's, I hadn't thought about that. I always think about, I like your idea of, of not planting it and putting something in there. But if, it, if you can get a short season crop and then get something in after yeah. harvest, that's yeah. a, that was a good idea too. I yeah. like that. Yeah. And I'll just make sure I'm clear. When I said not planting a cash crop, I was mainly referring to wet areas and not like whole farms or whole fields. Unless your whole farm or field is... <laughs> is that much but but you know i think you understand that the other thing too um is is and i'm just going to re-emphasize here is get out there and actually walk the field sometimes farmers have this itch they have this need to till and guys who aren't committed sometimes it's like any little excuse they have they want to run that tractor and feel that power and yes there was a lot of compaction Maybe because of wet, wet, wet weather last year, wet harvesting conditions. But don't necessarily assume that. That's why just spending, I'm just saying, a couple hours walking over your farm and probing down. It's not hard to do. You can feel it. You can sense it. You just keep walking, walking, go to another place in your pickup or your four-wheeler, test again an area, walk around, walk around. And uh, really, you really need to identify what is actually going on. And I just want to emphasize that, Stephanie, to get out there and actually walk the fields is the first thing you do and make decisions then from that. I like it. I like it. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Other questions? Any question at all? Hi, Steve. This is Bob Betts again. Yep. Um, I was, it's probably an uh, observation more than anything. Some of my vineyards have been no-tilled now since the late 70s, and most of us is since the 80s. Um, in our ruts last fall, I noticed that I had wormholes on the hump of the rut. The night crawlers were coming up through there, still aerating the soil. And then this spring, well, two weeks ago, we had a 65-degree day, and I was yeah. surprised on how many night crawlers come up through on a bare spot on some gravel and got the uh-huh. stem of the leaf of the great vineyard and pulled it down on top of their hole on how the worms have really been taken off. Well, that's an interesting observation, and I love, Bob, the way you think, because, um, and, and, and I feel that sometimes farmers just don't go out and observe. They don't go out and look, or crop scouts, or agronomists, whatever. They don't actually look what's going on, and a healthy soil can repair itself quite quickly, and that's why I'm so cautious. Don't just use this as an excuse to bring out your tillage tools. And again, I'll admit, I'm biased. I'm a no-tiller. Uh, but uh, I'm also trying to help us understand because I've learned a lot over the years. And and uh, if you see wormholes coming up through, you obviously know that they're going to be out there and they'll do better at, quote, unquote, tilling the soil or opening the soil up than any tillage. And they can do it when it's wet and it doesn't hurt the soil. Tillage, if you go in wet soil, you're probably making it even worse. Maybe you'll make it better for a couple days and makes you feel better, but you're not really helping it. And um, but then again, I understand you need to do cosmetic tillage just to smooth things off uh, in certain situations. That's that's a little different. 
Uh, but what I'm saying here, overall, you know, if you observe earthworm activity in those ruts or in those areas, that's a good sign that it may be able to remediate it quite quickly. So I'm glad you brought that up. I see, John, you're on. Uh, John, you have a comment? Yes, Steve. You have yep. mentioned the disc as a touch-up tool. Yeah. I'm wondering, chisel uh, plow or a ripper? They're more of the vertical tillage tool right. than a disc, and we always thought a disc uh, being a horizontal tool uh, sometimes was a compaction uh, machine yep. itself. Yep. What do you think of a of uh, a chisel plow to hit those spots, or a ripper to run down uh, the tracks? Yeah. that have been depressed. Well, I know people have different definitions to everything. In my definition, a ripper is more of a straight type, I'll call it a shank, that does very little uh, disturbance on the soil surface. And a chisel will roll over the soil more. It's more aggressive um, and, and so forth. So that's at least my, uh, I, I'm assuming, John, that's your definition as well. Um, yes. and, yeah, and I would say you want to, go for the least disturbance as possible like a ripper but even then you may have to you may have to use a disc when i say use a disc i'm not saying that you put it the whole way in the ground up to the axles and you're disking four five six inches sometimes i'm just scraping off the only thing that's disking the only thing that's touching the soil is some of the the ridges created from the ruts and literally the disc is just scratching the ground and we're just knocking off the ridges and filling in the ruts a little bit. And that's what I do. When I, when I have a problem, I'm not going to put the thing in the ground the whole way unless it's really severe. And I would just say that unless, you know, the more severe it is, then, you know, the more tillage you're going to have to do. So maybe, John, the way I would answer it is if it's really severe and, you know, you have an end where the trucks were coming in and out and going grain carts were going in and out, you know, then you, you've pretty much lost all of your soil structure. There would be a place you might want to use a chisel. If you just mm -hmm. have combine tracks um, that you want to take out, well, I, I would say then you would favor a ripper. Just rip those tracks out. And I, I actually have a, a, a ripper. Uh, that's, it's a two-shank. The reason I have it is I used to grow sweet corn. And the spray rows, sometimes we had a spray – you know, when you have sweet corn, you have for insects, we had a spray when the conditions were too wet. And there's a few spots in some of my fields that I came and came back with that ripper. And there's some years it never got hooked up. In some years it was used the equivalent of maybe one acre, but it's only a two shank. It's five foot centers. That's the width of my spray truck. So that's what I do. Very, very specific, not used very often. And then when you disc, unless it's really tore up, I'm just scratching things to level it off. That's it. Is that helpful, John? Is that, I mean, that's, what yes, do you think? Yes, I mean, indeed. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I think a ripper will give you a lift. And if you could yes. run a shank uh, where you had a depressed wheel track, I right. think you get a, a lift and it might level it out where you didn't need to do anything else. All right. Yep. Good points. <clears throat> Other comments, other questions from anybody today? Anybody? Steve, I have, yep. Steve, I have a ahead. question about the night crawlers again. So Bob was talking about night crawlers coming through these compacted areas. If, if, if the ultimate goal is to have as little disturbance as possible, could you 
Could you uh, facilitate increased earthworm activity by putting straw or something on those compacted mm. areas to get the biology to move through there to pull that stuff down? I mean, if they're small spots, I, I don't I don't know if you'd yeah. want to do that over a whole field, but I mean, right. that just made me kind of think about, like he said, the nightcrawlers mm. are coming through these compacted areas to go get yeah. residue. Yeah. Um, yeah. We put residue on the surface to yeah. draw them to those areas. Yeah. Basically, what you're saying is feed them so that yeah. they stinger, hang around. I didn't think about that. Um, I, my first reaction was, sounds like a great idea, but I wouldn't put it very thick because you kind of want the soil to dry out. Uh, yeah, if that's you true. Can get a, if you can get a cover crop planted, uh, and it may be, and I didn't say this earlier on, but if you just have a, a small area, maybe just going out with a hand spinner cedar, crank cedar, and going over early just to get something growing there. Uh, might be a good idea until it does get dry enough uh, that you can you know, go in with, uh, you know, if you do need to do some remediation of tillage or leveling it out. So uh, to your point, um, obviously there's limitations on the scale of that, but I would just caution going very heavy because you do want it to dry out, you know. Good but point. That's a great, that's a great, that's a great, uh, great suggestion though, Stephanie. Great suggestion. Anybody else? Questions, comments about anything? Anything related to cover crops? I would just comment another one on those wet soils, especially like if you're going to broadcast and if it's warm, uh, yeah. Japanese millet is, is great for wet soils, wet feet. Okay. I don't know that it's going to have as good a root system as annual ryegrass, but it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a good one for wet spots. Well, that's good to know. Uh, I have had Japanese millet. I did not know that it kind of had a one-up on wet spots, but that's just good to know. Uh, Jim, I'm going to next make a note of that here. We planted in duck marshes. Ah, okay. Well, that tells you something. Yeah, that tells you something. Yep, that tells you something. Any other comments from anybody? Any other comments from the, the, the vineyard crew? Anybody else? Hey, Steve. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, kind of sidetracked a little bit, but the uh, uh, partnership you did with uh, No-Till Farmer, uh, what's that yes. all about? I'm going to explain a little bit more in an email, uh, but I'll just say it's um, basically I am going, they're starting with a, um, in March, they're going to have a cover crop summit which anybody can join, and I'm going to be leading that off. So uh, I'm going to have the first segment of that. And then they have a website that they're forming now called CoverCropStrategies.net where they're going to take the, the speaking uh, webinars from the CoverCrop Summit and from CoverCrop-related um, uh, topics from the National No-Till Conference and the strip-till conference that they run, and they're going to put them on that site. And what I have done is I am giving them some of my one-year-old webinars that I've done here to help get this thing launched. So it's kind of like a, a nice another opportunity to learn. So out of uh, respect for what you guys all paid for, I'm using one-year-old stuff, but in exchange for that, they are giving me brand new material. 
So I am going to create a, another page on my Cover Crop Innovators website for new material coming from, uh, it's essentially Lesseter Publications or the No-Till Conference. So it will not take the place of these live webinars. It's just that you will be able to expand your knowledge and tap into that. Um, so uh, that's kind of the, the exchange there. I have, I think this is my number 95 webinar I've done here. So I got a lot of them right now. Uh, and so it's kind of, I see it as a win-win where they're going to give me some things. I'm going to give them some of my older stuff and we'll see how it goes. But uh, that's pretty much where it's at, Lloyd. Does that, does that clear that up? Yeah, yeah. I, I just saw some articles on it and uh, yep. just kind of wondered yep. uh, if, if, you know, if the two were going to merge into one or... No. We're working side by side is how I would look at it to a degree. To a degree. Uh, it's, it's, I, I see it as a win-win as a to uh, get to give you all more material uh, that, especially some of the stuff that I'm not as familiar with, maybe Western uh, drier areas and that, that, type, that type of material, and, and just have other people to present uh, some of their uh, information. So it's trying to, essentially, both of us are getting more material out of it. Okay. Yeah. So... Any other questions for today? Well, thanks, everybody. Appreciate the good conversation. And as always, stay curious and keep learning. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank yep. you, Steve. Yeah.